Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio. And with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Science! This evening, our guest is Jeff Mock, the founder of the Geek Creation Show, a convention designed to benefit the opening of the Tesla Science Center, otherwise known as the Tesla Museum, in Wardenclyff, New York, on Long Island. It was Nikola Tesla's birthday this past Wednesday. We thought this was a particularly timely opportunity to have Jeff on the show. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you so much. I am incredibly delighted to be here. I was. I am ashamed of myself. I knew about Nikola Tesla, and uh, I, I was aware of the Tesla coil, of course, because here in uh, here in Los Angeles we have the Griffith Observatory, and in it is a two-story tall Tesla coil. And uh, But that's all I knew about Tesla, and it wasn't until it came up that it was Tesla's birthday that I actually did any research. And lo and behold, Tesla turns out to be this geek god. Your son is a very big Tesla fan. You know, you could show it at the Geek Creation Show because you created a geek. <laughs> that is true. Um, I I am all for the creation of more geeks. So come on down. Feel free. <laughs> Open invite. Mm, tempting notion. So um, for the audience who might not be as familiar with Tesla as my uh, executive producer here, hmm. who definitely gave me some shame points. <laughs> on, on not knowing all of this background. Uh, tell us a little bit about Tesla and why he was so important to modern modern life and, and our, our way of life. Well, Tesla was this uh, Serbian scientist and inventor who essentially... We often talk about people being years ahead of their time, but really, he was decades maybe a century ahead of his time, much of, much of what we still use today, for example, the electrical power system we still use today, um, is the one that he promulgated. In fact, 
he had a very famous battle with Thomas Edison, wherein Tesla was promulgating alternating current, and Edison was promulgating DC. Direct current versus alternating current. And Edison, in fact, uh, used a number of quite shameful tricks, including electrocuting animals, to prove, quote-unquote, that Tesla's method was dangerous and unsafe. In the end, um, alternating current proved to be such an absolutely superior way of conveying electricity that it became the standard and is still the standard today. He invented this massive, massive collection of brilliant things and had a lot of ideas for more. Uh, the actual site at Wardenclyffe, for example, was a site where they were building a gigantic tower and this tower was going to... This is back before you had pretty much wireless anything. This tower was going to give not just something like wireless internet, it was going to give wireless power. It was going to actually supply power to a, a huge, huge area for free just from this one tower radiating power outwards. And in addition to having many brilliant inventions, he's also known for having had a number of those inventions basically stolen by Thomas Edison, who had more money and was much more interested in the business sense, say, patenting and making money for inventions than inventing things and helping people with them. Well, just, just to give that's uh, an opinion, of course. To give, to give the listeners some idea, uh, Nikola Nikola Tesla, uh, he needed to. The reason alternating current travels better through wires than DC does is because DC current depends on the electrons traveling the entire length of the wire. Alternating current moves it back and forth which means the electrons are actually traveling a short distance back and forth, but the power uh, is what you need out of it, and, uh, and that's what travels so well over great distances. Uh, Edison's DC power distribution grid required a power plant about every square mile. And in fact, the, the electrical generator was also an invention of Tesla. Uh, he created the first uh, he created the first electric uh, alternators and the first electric generators every car on the planet uses Tesla's technology uh, matter of fact he also invented the capacitor which is a charged storage device every piece of electronics ever created uh, uses Tesla's inventions the whole idea of, of radiant power while it wasn't practical on large scale, it is practical on small scale. And now the great new thing is these charging pads that you can just drop your your cell phone or, or your uh, uh, your portable device on and it charges it without plugging it in. That's Tesla technology right there. Um, he also invented the first one of the first speedometers for automobiles. He invented the first electrical meter. For, uh, for measuring how much power your house was using or your business. Uh, all kinds of things that you, would, you wouldn't think that Tesla had anything to do with. He invented the spark plug. He invented the method for getting electrical sparks into, um, into 
the cylinder heads of gasoline engines and igniting that. He invented the spark... Every car on the planet uses spark plugs. Tesla's responsible for practically every moving vehicle on the planet. Yeah, but aside from that, did he do anything useful? (laughs) Yeah, really. Besides that, what did the Romans ever do for us? And of course, there's also... um, There's also the... For those of us who are interested in the more... I don't know, the more esoteric side or perhaps the more unknown side... There are said to be a number of Tesla's inventions which were not released to the public. Or there, was, uh, there was, for example, it's right out of a movie, there was a suspicious fire at Edison's laboratory, and a great deal of his work was destroyed. There is still a great deal of there, – there are still a lot of people who believe that Tesla also invented a practical death ray of all things and that – he may have actually finished the invention, and it may have been confiscated by the government. Uh, it's very unknown because he made so many things, and he had such an ability. He had the ability to actually visualize an entire invention in his head before building it, and it would apparently work. So it's it's still unknown exactly what he did invent. It is known that the U.S. government did confiscate at least some of his papers, and to my knowledge – at least some of those papers are still classified, whether that's anything sinister or whether that's anything particularly hidden. There's some aspect of his legacy that's still not known. Still sitting in warehouse 13 somewhere. Yes. Next to the uh, Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) There was a, there was a rumor that he had created a machine that was capable of producing earthquakes. Oh yeah, that sounds strictly an uh, earthquake engine. Wild E. Coyote, super genius. Earthquake pills. And uh, another another article I read recently uh, was all about ball lightning and how nobody had ever been able to actually produce ball lightning in the laboratory, except there is written documentation of Tesla doing it in his lab in the 1880s. <laughs> You know, modern science can't do it, but Tesla did it a hundred years ago. More than a hundred years ago. There's a lot of strange talk about Tesla, and the thing is that every time you say, that seems implausible, how could someone a hundred years ago have created something that we can't do today? You look at what he actually did create, and how much of it is still in use, and in some cases, how much of it is very similar to what he created Mm -hmm. a century ago. And you say, this was a man whose mind could go well beyond his century, could go well beyond his time. He was really an amazing fellow and really an unknown fellow. And to my mind, for that and a number of other reasons, he's a great patron saint of geeks, if you will. He's a a great story of someone who was really brilliant and had amazing skills and abilities, and might have been underappreciated for a lot of those skills and abilities during a large part of his life. Well, here, here once again, we see the uh, the fallacy of assuming that somebody in a who, who lived a long time ago is de facto primitive or un, untalented, and that is yes. complete rubbish. 
So I understand that the Wardenclyffe Tower, which was also known as the Tesla Tower, was uh, it was originally going to be this this uh, beacon of energy, literally, uh, that was going to yes. be broadcast. Uh, that was going to broadcast energy. Um, and it was um, uh, it was going to be a uh, a wireless communications tower and a laboratory facility, and it was also going to just broadcast radiant energy. Um, I. I don't know how you would actually do both because, you know, electromagnetic interference is one of the banes of electronic communication. But uh, apparently he, he had some idea of what he was doing. And he got... Um, uh, the tower was... Uh, it was financed by uh, James Pierpont Morgan. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and as a side note to that... Uh, you know, 10 years ago, if you had told me that I would be in a room somewhere with my laptop not connected to anything physical, but accessing the internet at what then would have been considered a tremendous speed, I would have said, that's ridiculous. That's completely out of possibility. So if Tesla thought he could do something like that with radiant energy, I'm inclined to believe it might have been possible. The, the pictures on it show a 55-foot um, diameter cupola. Uh, it, they were going to build a 55-foot diameter cupola on the top of this tower. Uh, and the, uh, the, whole, the thing was uh, taken down in, what was it, 1917, something like that. Yes. It was, and uh, and uh, so this, is, this building is the that was going to be this big communications and er energy center was Tesla's last big project and he never finished it before he died. Uh no maybe, actually that's not true. Maybe they could now, huh? Maybe yeah, maybe they could do it now. But uh so so the land was purchased in a successful crowdfund crowdsource funding campaign. But there's yes. a lot to there's a lot to do that's that was that's just the beginning of the story. I mean, having the land is a really critical piece because now that now that they have the land, they can make sure that that it can't be made into a shopping mall. You know, you can't take this incredible piece of amazing history and you know just bulldoze it into something bland and generic. It's well, going to be able to be a museum, but yeah, now they need to build the museum itself. The so, adventure uh, is only beginning. So where are they at with yes. it right now? They they purchased the land. Last I read about it, they were they were clearing the. Uh, uh, it was what about two hundred acres? Wasn't it's it? a it's a very large space. Very large, yes, very large space. And uh, they're clearing it of poison ivy. Poison I mean, ivy, just... ticks, broken glass, nails, sharp metal, <laughs> sturdy protect protective shoes are a must. So yeah, they're yeah, years, getting their hands dirty. Right. Years of neglect at this historic site. And, yeah, they're, they're a very hard-working bunch, and it's, as far as I understand, it's a fairly small group that are trying to make this all come together. And, you know, museums are just a gigantic undertaking, especially if you're trying to put together a museum for someone who is as prolific and as complex as Nikola Tesla. How did you become involved in this? And, uh, 
and what are you trying to accomplish? Well, you know, it's it sounds a little corny to say out loud, but the geek world has been good to me, you know? Um, I, I've been running events now for almost 14 years, but it's been my full-time profession for five years, and it's running events for geeks that finally let me become self-sufficient enough to have a, a small income um, such that I could get married, and I was able to get married this past year. Oh, congratulations. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, I have a wonderful husband who is currently teaching English in China. Oh, that um, must be very hard for you to be apart. It is very hard for us to be apart, but we're also both workaholics. So hmm. you know, we, we sort of have conversations where we talk about how much we miss each other and then how much work we're getting done. So it's very <laughs> mixed. Well, you have a lot in common. <laughs> we, we do. So uh, uh, how much more is needed in order to get this thing uh, put together? Or, or does anybody have any idea yet? I've heard a number of different numbers thrown around, and it seems like a lot of what's going to happen will depend somewhat on what kinds of support they're able to get. I mean, if they're able to get if they're able to get a break from Long Island, um, you know, if they're able to get a break on the construction, a lot will depend. Some people are willing to donate some of their services to help. Some people are willing to donate part of the cost of some things. So I don't know if they've got a specific number that they're aiming at. It's also my own suspicion. This is just my own hunch is that given how much there is and how much that you could do, they're going to try to raise as much as they can because no matter how much they raise, you know, it's like when Tolkien was working on Lord of the Rings, it was a much, much larger story. Mm. And he actually cut it down because he knew it really needed to be practical. It wasn't going to be practical in the size that it was. But he felt very regretful cutting parts of it down because there was so much more he wanted to put in. And I, I suspect the museum is somewhere in that position that, you know, they're they're sitting there thinking, well, for this much money, we could put up a portrait of Tesla, but for this much money, we could build one of his prototypes and have it demonstrated once a day. You know, and really, when you're dealing with something as open-ended as trying to portray the complicated life of a genius, um, I suspect that, especially if you're a charity... I suspect that they're going to see what they can fundraise and then take that money and do the best they can with it. That's my yeah. thought. Well, my thought is that a museum is not a static storage unit. It is a it, it, they cycle different ex exhibitions and projects and performances in and out of any museum that that wants to keep their their support alive. Yes. So, you know, they, I, I, I see this as, as a never-ending quest to fund things, which is maybe a little, you know, funding is tedious and difficult, but the wonders that they produce with the money, are, it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a never-ending, you know, panorama of, of science, of wonder. Once it's built, it's going to be the sort of thing that one's going to want to visit every couple of months, and... I actually have a friend who's an art lawyer. She's an artist, and when she looked at the art world and looked at professions in the art world, 
she noticed that one of the really challenging things was the legal side to transporting art various places because there's a lot to the provenance of art, there's a lot to the provenance of a given piece, there's a lot to making sure that it's shipped properly and received properly. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're lending, not that the Mona Lisa, as far as I know, would particularly be loaned out, but, you know, you can't just put the Mona Lisa in a box and FedEx it, and then if it doesn't show up, call FedEx and say, hey, guys, where's my package? You know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And some, yeah. of these, and some of those items of art are national treasures, and you need to negotiate with governments and speak to them and make a case for it. And my understanding is that the world of science is not dissimilar, especially the world of science history, that there's all kinds of complicated possibilities. Um, for example, I imagine that there are a number of Tesla artifacts throughout the world. There are things that he built for people. There are things that are still in motion. Uh, there are presumably a lot of uh, Tesla artifacts in various places that he lived, including other countries, and I suspect that the museum will have its hands full uh, negotiating for those items and making sure that they are transported in a manner that is safe and brought from one place to another. Uh, I mean, I was really disappointed to find that the standard way of transporting objet d'art is not actually for Indiana Jones to stuff them into a satchel and then <laughs> drop them on somebody's desk. <laughs> no. But apparently that's not how it really works in the museum world. Curiously, no. I don't know why that would be. So I, th- I, I was... You know, I was thinking about what a cool place the the Tesla Museum could be. We've been uh, on the Krypton Radio article. Uh, we inserted a video of somebody in a mesh suit directing lightning bolts from two different Tesla coils as it played the theme to Doctor Who, to the admiration and applause of an appreciative crowd. Well, it wouldn't be any harder than than tuning a theremin. You just have to know where to put your hands. Oh, well, that was that came out wrong. <laughs> you know, for all those of us who have theremins, of course, you know, just pull out that theremin you've got at home and easy to work. Yeah. Um, well, this this doesn't actually, actually work that. Among way. geeks, I suppose is... more of us do have theremins than most okay, people. Okay, it's no harder than a than a violin. Okay, violin doesn't have frets. You don't. It doesn't tell you where where, where to put your fingers. You yeah, just it, it, learn after a while. Playing music on Tesla coils doesn't work that way. You actually have to turn the Tesla coil on and off at very high frequencies in order to produce the sound. You don't have to do that with a violin. Well, no. But, uh, so it's, it's, the Tesla coils are driven by computer, and then you have somebody in the middle doing the, uh, uh, you know, doing the visual part of it. It's, but I the result is the still, that still amazing. It's pretty, that, no, that's incredibly amazing. I just want to state for the record that my degrees are in anthropology and theater. Uh-huh. So when it comes to uh, protons, electrons, neutrons, I can't even tell that joke about the neutron properly. No, the, um, the neutron joke? I'm missing an electron. Are you sure? I'm positive. That joke? Yeah, that joke. I can't even tell that one. <laughs> so I'm glad someone could. <laughs> you have to do the voices. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so tell us about um, tell us about the convention you're you're putting together. The uh, geek, oh no, I hate talking about my events. Creation. I couldn't possibly. Oh please, please. <laughs> so, so this is this isn't. First of all, this is not the the first your first time through the. Ain't his first rodeo. Isn't your first rodeo? You've done other events. <laughs> Jeff mock events with a with its own web page and Facebook page. Jeff Mock event. Well, the website, the Jeff Mock events website, does need to be updated a lot. As a as a side note, that doesn't matter. Um, I pronounce my own name either Mock or Mac. My family pronounces it Mac. We think that someone at Ellis Island had a terrible sense of humor or a terrible sense of spelling, because it really should be Mock. Um, so and so many people now call it Jeff Mock events. And they walk up to me and say, "Hi, Jeff Mock. I don't want to go around correcting people." Um, so I'm actually going to alternate my own name. So if you get confused as to which one to call me, I'm also confused. We thought, we thought you were the speed of sound. Um, I might be related to Ernest Mock. I don't know. Um, our family histories are written in very bad handwriting. This is true. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. You know, I could be part of 20th Century Fox, but who knows? But I still say Fox News, no relation. <laughs> I think we'd be having a very different interview. <laughs> yeah. On so many levels. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So tell the us Geek about... Creation Show, yeah. the idea was that we really wanted to try to do a 100% benefit and to give something back to geeks because geekdom has been so good to us. And uh, Sure has. I see, I see here on your has. website you've got the Steampunk World's Fair. World's largest Goblin, steampunk event. Yes. Goblin Market presents Occultus, which looks interesting. Um, it's tomorrow, yes. Yikes! Oh, yes. Um, All the people, uh, the entire staff of the Goblin Market presents Occultus are huddled in the lobby downstairs, stressing out. Um, and actually, this is a great place for me to be because uh, if I were there, they would not stress out any less. They would just ask me questions, and this way, you're asking me questions instead, and I, I get to have a lot more fun. <laughs> we would buy you a cool, refreshing beverage. So how? Oh, is... I, I suspect, knowing my staff, that there are cool, refreshing beverages being consumed. Um, we definitely do have one person on staff who doesn't drink, and then we have everyone else on staff who tries very hard to make up for that individual. <laughs> there we go. Liquid muscle relaxant. That's the very yes. thing the night before the convention. Um, so, yes. So we also me. have the Wicked Winter Renaissance mm -hmm. Fair, which is certainly the weirdest Renaissance Fair in the world. Uh, we have a whole bunch of events. And one thing that happened with Geek Creation was we wanted to try to do a show that had never been done before. Because if we were going to do a benefit event, we could have done something more standard. We could have done, say, a standard science fiction convention. But first... We try to make all of our events unique, and that's partly because they're really labors of love, and we we really like putting on something that hasn't been done before. And also, if we put on a more conventional convention, it would be more specific competition for, say, all the existing con conventions out there. Uh, if we put on just a regular science fiction convention, we would be basically in competition with all the other science fiction conventions, and so while trying to help out geekdom, we'd be taking tickets away from geekdom, and that didn't sound like the best idea for us. This looks so like we... just the sort of thing that geeks need. Look at it. It's, it's how to make all kinds of things. 
Yes, it's it's, and the thing is, and honestly, at this point, we may actually rename it for next year, only because the Geek Creation Show suggests to some people that it's only about physically making stuff, whereas what we really create, what the Geek Creation Show creates, is better, happier, happier, healthier geeks. The whole idea behind the Geek Creation Show is that you go to the Geek Creation Show and you have this huge amount of hands-on workshops where you can learn all kinds of stuff that even if you've been a geek for a long time, you may have never seen before, and you can actually work with it and play with it and have fun with it and meet other people doing it. You walk into the Geek Creation Show on Friday, and you walk out on Saturday or Sunday, or heck, if you're you know really tired after the event, stay over till Monday. Feel free. You walk out of there you will have the ability to know a lot more about how to use your geekiness to decorate your home and to have a cooler, geekier home, how to raise geekier kids and more ideas for raising geekier kids, how to live a more fit geek life if you want. And on the other side of it, for example, we often talk about how much geeks love bacon, but how many events get an actual chef to come in and... Dude, and teach you about those kinds of bacon. I can do that. She's she's well, actually... I'm a culinary historian. Really? Yes. Oh yes, she is. She's am... wow. This is to say a foodie who makes things. <laughs> she knows. I mean, she's talking to um. I don't work in the Whoa. food industry, but I can do that. In she fact, she knows recipes that go back seven hundred years. Yeah, I'm in the SCA, and one of my specialties is food. You say so. Ah, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of very interesting geek food out there, but, you know, we talk about a lot of geek food. A lot of us don't have a really deep knowledge of it, and not necessarily a working knowledge of it. What re- What is the crispiest – okay, I'm letting you know these are um, these are not questions intended for you to answer them because it sounds like you could answer them. <laughs> but uh, what is the crispiest bacon? What is the most savory bacon? What bacon do most people feel tastes the baconiest? What's the best bacon for cooking? Is there bacon out there that you can order on the internet that is of a good price that you can get shipped to you that you can then cook for your friends and have them be like, this is some of the most amazing bacon ever. You know, um, the, that particular workshop is called Become a Bacon Connoisseur. There's candy. There's so much great candy out there. Um, I'm candy I'm, confectionery is a whole field of science, and it is yes. a very precise science with very precise it measurements. It is, and and there's so honey, I want to go. There's so many possibilities to it, <laughs> and so many things you can learn. And um, depending, we're still talking back and forth with venue. Uh, depending on venue and how things go. We may be able to give out samples of a lot of kinds of candy, and also, and as the show develops, I mean, it's a first-year event. Every first-year event needs to sort of prove itself. One thing that we expect is that next year, we won't just be having, say, um, workshops about bacon, but we expect to have a number of people who actually make bacon who say, "Hey, we heard about your great show. We'd like to donate a bunch of bacon." Uh, maybe to, say, your VIP tier or whatever it is. We'd like to donate enough bacon that a bunch of people at the show can actually try various kinds of bacon. Uh, we, at uh, at one of our other events, which is an adult-oriented event for geeks, uh, we actually were very successful with a bacon bar. It was a very beloved part of the event, 
Um, we've also done molecular gastronomy, which is something we haven't gotten into for geek creation. Um, I can see that being of interest to the geek crowd. Um, I'm not sure that the geeks are going to cotton to it only because it's trendy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the outside world kind of discovered it first, so it's no longer of interest. Well, you know, here's the thing about being a geek. Um, and one, re one really great thing about being a geek is that we've seen decades of geekdom, and the culture that now identifies itself as geek culture is a real separate individual culture that's been built over the course of decades and passed on. It's like the Society for Creative Anachronism. The Society for Creative Anachronism isn't a fad. It's not trendy. It's something that was created a long time ago that people became fascinated by, and people passed it on to their kids and their friends, and it's continued for decades and has a history. And geek culture, which overlaps with skating culture, but that's an entirely different discussion, geek culture is that way. Geek culture is a real decade-long, decades, plural, long, generation-to-generation generation thing, and we're trying to be the first show that lets people really level up as geeks. I've seen a lot of sci-fi events that have level lots of cool little talks, like panels, things like that, but I've never seen an event absolutely about trying to take all kinds of aspects of geek life and level you up in all of them. At the same time, while you're leveling up, you're having a great time because, frankly, we run events for fun, so everything we do has a huge fun component. And we run very social events, so you're very likely to make a whole lot of friends. Um, as a side note, one of my favorite things is that I am starting to get cards now. At this point, I'm up to about a dozen cards or emails that I get a year from people who show me pictures of their babies. And they say, here's the baby that was conceived at so-and-so event of yours. <laughs> baby is now three. Isn't she pretty? And I'm, I'm all over this. I'm really loving this. It's a great part of being a promoter to the geek world. That, that is, that's really something. That, well, I did not expect that. You know, you're creating that. people when you're, you know, providing a social medium for people to meet the right other person, you know? I always tell people when they ask what I do, um, when I have time to explain it, I don't say I create events. I say I build playgrounds. And that's partly because our philosophy is very playful, but it's also because, honestly, the content of an event is incredibly important. I have a little brother. He loves playgrounds. He can tell you, if not our, with great articulation, certainly with great enthusiasm, he can tell you this playground's great, this playground's not great. But the thing about a playground is that a playground gives great people a chance to hang out and have fun and amplifies the fun. It is a force modifier for fun. <laughs> no convention, no festival is made great because it's got great content, ever. That does not make a great event. What makes an event great is that it provides a great experience for the people who attend. Great content can be one of the most important parts. I try never to, sh to throw a show that we don't think has great content, but it's all about, 100% about great people, and then it's about tricking them into interacting with each other so that they make friends with each other, and then they have a fantastic time. Um, it's you not ask, about content, you look, it's about context. Exactly. You, you look at it. someone talking about an event afterwards, and 
they will say, I really love the this, I really love the that, but almost invariably in the same post, wherever they're talking about it, say a Facebook post, and they will say things like, I had such a great time with this person and this person and this person, and I'm so glad I met this person and this person. That's invariant. And other people see that kind of as secondary, and we see that really as primary, that our big secret is that we talk all about all the great things that are at the event to sneakily get people to come to the event. And then we have amazing, fun things at the event to get people into a happy, excited mood. And then we throw them together because you're going to physically meet a lot of people at an event when they're all happy and excited and they make friends. But I don't tell anybody about that secret agenda because if I said to people, hey, come on out, make friends, it's like your parents trying to convince you, no, it's okay, you can go to kindergarten, you'll make lots of friends. It doesn't sound <laughs> right. But it is the actual secret behind any great event. And the core behind the Geek Creation Show is that what we create are happier geeks. And so what we create are both ways you can learn amazing geek stuff and ways you can meet other people who also want to learn cool geek stuff. And there's no better way to really communicate with someone, to really connect with someone than to learn cool things with them. It sounds to me like your job title is human experience engineer. <laughs> That's That sounds like a great job title, although... Um, I don't know if I'd want to go around and announce that to people. Um, hi, I'm Jeff Mack. I'm the human experience engineer of this event. Um, it's kind of can I adjust your experience at all? <laughs> I don't think that works so well. Yeah, it makes you sound like a chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> or a perv. So, <laughs> or a pervy chiropractor. So I'm not and, a chiropractor. This... I'm and I'm not that kind of perv. Everybody's oh, a perv. One way oh, yes. or another. Uh, we do have our geeky adult events, our very unique geeky adult events, but we keep those very separate from our all-ages yeah, geek events. Well, this is yeah, an all-ages event, and we'll so stick this, to the... And this one, is, your approach is very... Uh, uh, I think it's, it is congruent with, uh, with, I think, the approach that Tesla took in his life. Just just finding ways to connect things and put things together and, and help people by showing them new ways of doing things. Oh, wow. You know, there's, I there's actually hadn't thought of it that there. way. That's really an exciting way to think about it. There, there, I think there's a strong congruency there. You know, it seems very obvious to me. The, the, uh, uh, what Tesla did is he looked at, at uh, the different things people were doing and and uh, like a lot of his inventions were not unique inventions in and of themselves, but they were significant improvements on the way people had been doing them, uh, taking things. Um, uh, he would he would take a scientific theory and he would take something that was uh, impractical and took a room of equipment to do and he would boil it down into something you could stick in your pocket. And, or that could be manufactured in in en masse and actually used in the marketplace to make and and sold a, as a product and make people's lives better instead of just being a laboratory curiosity so um you know I, it's it, what you're doing with uh, the the whole idea of the the uh, geek creation uh, convention uh, is uh, you are synthesized, you're offering the opportunity 
for attendees to synthesize new experiences for themselves uh, from knowledge that other people have and putting them together and making it into something new uh, to make their lives better. I hope you realize I'm going to quote you on this because you just said this much better than I have. <laughs> Feel free. Absolutely. And spell, spell his name right. <laughs> Kryptonradio.com. Kryptonradio.com. <laughs> yeah, that works. Um, so uh, how far away is the convention and, and when, when is it going to be held? I mean, uh, and where is it going to be held? It is well, in the crossroads of of uh, New I almost said New Zealand, New Jersey in Parsippany at this amazing hotel. It's the Sheridan and it looks like a castle. It is this beautiful castle shaped hotel. It is it is a Sheraton uh it's uh Look at the picture. August second through fourth. Oh uh there there is a there is a small challenge we've um we're working with a different person at the hotel than the person with whom we originally worked. Oh, that's always and a bad sign. There's, there are a few questions. There may be a few updates to things next week, but we're not quite sure about it. But one way or another, the convention itself will be happening. Uh, there, there is a small possibility of uh, some alterations. Like in, in your backyard, you know. <laughs> you can put well, it in my backyard. No. We've got a lot. Can I put it in your backyard? Cause, you could. Uh, it's in Los Angeles. It's very small. Hey, I'd love to go to Los Angeles. This is a great opportunity for me. <laughs> Let's get all those people in our 10 by 12 uh, lap. Good idea. We're going to have to move the the table <coughs> saw. Yeah, the table saw's got to go. Of course, you got that many people, they could just lift the table saw. But we actually have a lab. We have our own. We, we, uh, yeah, but our table saw doesn't both... have wheels, so we need all the yeah, geeks. We're getting to... rid of the game. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Well, we decided uh, uh, we're makers, both of us. We make stuff, and uh, we have a lot of different skills between us, and we decided we needed our own mad science lab, so we built one in the backyard. Well, you know, without without making it a plug, uh, I can't yet reveal the theme of this year's Steampunk World's Fair. That's being revealed in early September, but... Um, but we are going to have a much stronger maker component than we've had before as part of what we're doing. You know, if you've um, ever considered making something neat that was steampunkish, you might want to talk to us about it. And we might no, no, I would never it. think of such a thing. Oh, oh sorry. I, I hate to uh, insult you with the thought of steampunk no. good heavens. No, stop. No leather octopus. No. <laughs> I've got I've got this plan for a wearable leather octopus, and the and the head portion is basically my bustle, <laughs> and the tentacles just wrap around and have um, snaps that snap onto different parts of my clothing. So there is someone out there stranger than my husband. I was wondering if I'd eventually meet someone <laughs> weirder well, we than the person. We can make him a bustle, but. You know, I don't know how it would look. Like. I wanted to take. I wanted to make a Tesla musical instrument, Tesla coil musical instrument. You know, you should make a Tesla coil musical instrument. You should make a Tesla coil musical instrument, and then um, let us pay to have you ship it to us, <laughs> so we can exhibit it. Can we do that with the fire regulations? Because it's a little. You know. It has to be done. It has to be done outside. There's no. You've question. seen our lawn. 
our, well, yeah. our, our I don't know. patriotically brown lawn. <laughs> we do frequently have fire-related stuff, fire performances, fire shows, uh, and we do have those after very careful and specific consultations with the local fire marshals, mm. and we do have those outside. Yes. God, hotels, though, man. I remember having to uh, shift a whole bunch of costumed models to my house to to get their uh, makeup done because all of a sudden the Marriott and it was the Marriott at the time although it isn't it no the Hilton it's now a Marriott the Burbank Hilton said oh no you can't have uh, airbrush in the in the hotel it's like what what <laughs> there's there are a lot of very interesting hotels and a lot of them have you know I've been that doing this for quite a long fire. time they, they have interesting ideas on how to relate to people and which rules to enforce and when. We have a home hotel, the Radisson of Piscataway, which is the – it's not the biggest hotel we've ever worked with, but I'm unashamed to say that it is the best hotel we've ever worked with uh, because its management works night and day to make sure that people are happy. They really have – they have the philosophy that Scott Adams suggested – um, in his book, Dilbert Work, um, which is have fun, do a good job, make money. And that's a really good philosophy, and it's not a philosophy that a lot of venues seem to have. I'm really and surprised. that's where the Steampunk yeah. World's Fair will be next May, uh, May 16th through 18th. 2014. That is one third of the hotels at which the Steampunk World's Fair will be. Uh, yes. The, uh, the Radisson I, see, of I see the Radisson and the Embassy Suites. The Radisson of, Piscatis, of Piscataway, the Embassy Suites, and no one knows this yet, but it looks at this moment, we're in negotiations, like we'll also be adding the Hotel Somerset Bridgewater, where I am hoping to put on a rather massive exhibition of steampunk art, culture, creation, invention, and other really neat steampunk stuff. That sounds very uh, posh. So how big, was, um, how big was the Steampunk World's Fair last year? In terms of people or in terms of size? Uh, the, let's go with people let's first. Let's go with yeah, like numbers how many, of tickets. How many people showed up? We had an increase, um, partly thanks to Steam Powered Giraffe, and of course the amazing Voltaire, who just draws a crowd by... Voltaire can draw a crowd by putting on a hat. He can draw a crowd by taking off a hat. <laughs> this um, is true. I just finished Voltaire's fantastic book, and I am, disclaimer, I am a friend of Voltaire's. I work with Voltaire a lot, so I am biased, but seriously, The Call of the Jersey Devil is a really, really great book. I read it. Um, it was my my one book that I brought on the plane back from China, 15-hour plane ride. All I did was work on ideas for the Geek Creation Show and read that book. Um, and I was completely happy to have that. But I'm also a crazy workaholic, so my opinion is suspect. Um, we also had Steam Powered Giraffe, who certainly drew quite a lot of people, but we had 5,000 people, a little over 5,000 this year. That's a That's lot of impressive. steampunk. That's a lot of steampunk. Uh, that is a lot of steampunk. We are the largest ticketed steampunk event in the world. There are some other events, um, Steam on Queen in Canada, um, associated with a really talented Adam Smith, is a physically larger event. Um, it is an awesome event. 
but it is a free event. It's a free, and I, as I understand, a one-day event. And there's, I make a distinction between an awesome, cool event that's free to get into, so everyone can you know come in, stop by, take a look around. But the fact that you have 5,000 ticket buyers means 5,000 people who are really seriously interested in hanging out and having a fantastic steampunk experience, and that's something you can't really duplicate anywhere else. Other people have other great stuff that they do. TeslaCon, of course, has the world's most immersive steampunk events, and um, no yet. one can duplicate TeslaCon. You know, there's lots of really cool events out there, but we do happen to run the biggest, and um, biggest and one of the most whimsical and um, certainly the most absinthe drinking. Wonderful. I, I, I think I've tried absinthe once, but boy, do I love this stuff. Uh, I, I've tried a lot of kinds of absinthe. Um, I've, I've tried a lot of kinds of absinthe that I will say that I don't always hallucinate. Um, it should just give you a light... Um the word sort of disconnect from the world it's a um, euphoric yes yeah that way you can enjoy the party you know instead of enjoying the polka dotted koalas on the ceiling well i enjoy pretending that i'm van gogh uh, don't cut off your ear van gogh are you kidding me he was so depressed that's a terrible role model i enjoy being a happy van gogh when did that ever happen? Oh yeah, when di when the doctor came to visit. <laughs> did you see that episode? No, I did not see that episode. If sadly. Even if you've never watched Doctor Who and you're not a fan, if you're an art history fan and you like Vincent Van Gogh, you must see this episode because the art direction is beyond brilliant. The more you know your Van Gogh, the more brilliant it is because every scene is a painting. It's it's, wow. it's totally yeah. referential. It, it's, that's it's, that's yeah, it's amazing. It's I... called Vincent and the Doctor, and I think it's the fifth season, and it's on iTunes and all the usual sort dodgy sources. I um, used to um, I used to poke at Whovians by saying, "Oh, Doctor Who, yeah, um, that's the show that Douglas Adams wrote some episodes for. I watched those." Yeah, and and that is completely true. Oh yeah, that's right. So, uh, let's see, create, uh, Geek Creation Geek Creation World, that's what it's called now. We, we did change it from Geek Creation Show to Geek Creation World. As it's close to the event, we go by either name, just like I go by Jeff Mack mm -hmm. or Jeff Mock. I'll answer to either one. And it's um, August 2nd through 4th, 2013. And yes. it's going to be at the... The hotel name is, again... The, the Sheraton of Parsippany. And you can see, mm -hmm. you can find out more at geekcreationshow.com or if you'd rather geekcreationworld.com whichever name appeals to you more feel free either one that's smart excellent um and the geek creation show is a 100 percent benefit event all proceeds go towards building the tesla science center at warden cliff in new york on the uh, on on long island yes Jeff Mock, it has been a great pleasure having you with us on the Event Horizon. We'd like to have you back at some point. Uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor, and you yes, know, just you're, you're a lot of fun um, to talk to. And now I'm I want to go that, to all your events. Well, you should go to all my events. Um, you know, we 
we should find a way to make that happen. And you know, I'm just going to say that uh, the listening audience doesn't necessarily know this, but uh, you folks really went out of your way because I had a little bit of scheduling difficulty. You really went out of your way to accommodate me, and I am really grateful for that. That's really something well, special. You have a lot, a lot to, to give the world and to our listening audience, so the feeling Thank is quite you. mutual. And with that, Jeff, uh, if you'd, we have that, uh, we have the button ready. If the, and it is, you get to push. The you button. get to push the button. I get to push the button. Yes. Um, all right. <laughs> One moment. I'm ready. Well, he's okay. putting on that that uh, uh, steampunk brass and bronze uh, button pushing glove. Okay, and. Ah! <laughs> 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 Oh my, you didn't tell me the button would do that. <laughs> oh. Didn't used Whoa. to do that. Did you rewire oh, the button I need to again? recheck the wiring. Ah. I hate when that happens. Okay. Wait, there's a, there's a message underneath the button. Uh, it says, see how dangerous alternating current is. <laughs> Edison. Edison, you rat. This has been episode 21 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for July 13th, 2013. Our guest this week has been convention producer Jeff Mack, creator of the Steampunk World's Fair and Geek Creation World, a benefit convention for the Tesla Science Center in Wardcliffe, Long Island, New York. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer, Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, July 14th, Bastille Day, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christopher B. McGuire. The Navigator was played by Corsair's Closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the Captain was voiced by science fiction legend and novelist Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for tonight's episode of X-1. Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>